Part Nine of the Old English Baron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel, Chicago, Illinois. The Old English Baron, a Gothic story by Clara Reeve. Part Nine. About an hour after, the wounded man complained of thirst. He asked for the surgeon and inquired if his life was in danger. The surgeon answered him doubtfully. He asked, "Where is Sir Philip Harclay?" "In the castle." "Where is that young man whom he calls the heir of Lovel?" "He is here too." "Then I am surrounded with my enemies. I want to speak to one of my own servants without witnesses. Let one be sent to me." The surgeon withdrew and acquainted the gentleman below. "He shall not speak to any man," said Sir Philip, "but in my presence." He went with him into the sick man's room. Upon the sight of Sir Philip, he seemed in great agitation. "Am I not allowed to speak with my own servant?" said he. "Yes, sir, you may, but not without witnesses." "Then I am a prisoner, it seems." "No, not so, sir, but some caution is necessary at present." But compose yourself. I do not wish for your death. Then why do you seek it? I never injured you. Yes, you have in the person of my friend, and I am only the instrument of justice in the hand of heaven. Endeavor to make atonement while life is spared to you. Shall I send the priest to you? Perhaps he may convince you of the necessity of restitution, in order to obtain forgiveness of your sins. Sir Philip sent for the priest and the surgeon and obliged the servant to retire with him. I leave you, sir, in the care of these gentlemen, and whenever a third person is admitted, I will be his attendant. I will visit you again within an hour. He then retired and consulted his friends below. They were of the opinion that no time should be lost. You will then, he said, accompany me into the sick man's apartment in an hour's time. Within the hour, Sir Philip, attended by Lord Clifford and Lord Graham, entered the chamber. Lord Lovel was in great emotion. The priest stood on one side of the bed, the surgeon on the other. The former exhorted him to confess his sins; the other desired he might be left to his repose. Lord Lovel seemed in great anguish of mind; he trembled and was in the utmost confusion. Sir Philip entreated him, with the piety of a confessor, to consider his soul's health before that of his body. He then asked Sir Philip by what means he knew that he was concerned in the death of his kinsman. Sir replied he. It was not merely by human means this fact was discovered. There is a certain apartment in the castle of Lovel that has been shut up these one and twenty years, but has lately been opened and examined into. Oh heaven! Exclaimed he, then Geoffrey must have betrayed me. No, sir, he has not. It was revealed in very extraordinary manner to that youth, whom it most concerns. How can he be the heir of Lovel? By being the son of that unfortunate woman whom you cruelly obliged to leave her house to avoid being compelled to wed the murderer of her husband, we are not ignorant. Moreover, of the fictitious funeral you made for her, all is discovered, and you will not tell us any more than we know already. But we desire to have it confirmed by your confession. The judgments of heaven are fallen upon me," said Lord Lovel. "I am childless." And what is arisen from the grave to claim my inheritance? Nothing then hinders you to do justice and make restitution. It is for the ease of your conscience, and you have no other way of making atonement for all the mischief you have done. You know too much," said the criminal, "and I will relate what you do not know. You may remember," proceeded he, 
that I saw you once at my uncle's house? I well remember it. At that time my mind was disturbed by the baleful passion of envy. It was from that root all my bad actions sprung. Praise be to God, said the good priest. He hath touched your heart with true contrition, and you show the effect of his mercies. You will do justice, and you will be rewarded by the gift of repentance unto salvation. Sir Philip desired the penitent to proceed. My kinsman excelled me in every kind of merit, in the graces of person and mind, in all his exercises, and in every accomplishment. I was totally eclipsed by him, and I hated to be in his company. But what finished my aversion was his addressing the lady upon whom I had fixed my affections. I strove to rival him there, but she gave him the preference that, indeed, was only his due. But I could not bear to see it or acknowledge it. The most bitter hatred took possession of my breast, and I vowed to revenge the supposed injury as soon as the opportunity should offer. I buried my resentment deep in my heart, and outwardly appeared to rejoice at his success. I made a merit of resigning my pretensions to him, but I could not bear to be present at his nuptials. I retired to my father's seat and brooded over my revenge in secret. My father died this year, and soon after my uncle followed him. Within another year my kinsman was summoned to attend the king on his Welsh expedition. As soon as I heard he was gone from home, I resolved to prevent his return, exulting in the prospect of possessing his title, fortune, and his lady. I hired messengers who were constantly going and coming to give me intelligence of all that passed at the castle. I went there soon after, under pretense of visiting my kinsman. My spies brought me an account of all that happened. One informed me of the event of the battle, but could not tell whether my rival was living or dead. I hoped the latter that I might avoid the crime I meditated. I reported his death to his lady, who took it very heavily. Soon after, another messenger arrived with tidings that he was alive and well, and had obtained leave to return home immediately. I instantly dispatched my two emissaries to intercept him on the way. He had made so much haste to return that he was met within a mile of his own castle. He had outrode his servants and was alone. They killed him and drew him aside out of the highway. Then they came to me with all speed and desired my orders. It was then about sunset. I sent them back to fetch the dead body, which they brought privately into the castle. They tied it neck and heels, and put it into a trunk, which they buried under the floor in the closet you mentioned. The sight of the body stung me to the heart. I then felt the pangs of remorse, but it was too late. I took every precaution that prudence suggested to prevent the discovery, but nothing can be concealed from the eye of heaven. From that fatal hour I have never known peace always in fear of something impending to discover my guilt and bring me to shame. At length I am overtaken by justice. I am brought to a severe reckoning here, and I dread to meet one more severe hereafter. Enough, said the priest. You have done a good work, my son. Trust in the Lord. And now this burden is off your mind. The rest will be made easy to you. Lord Lovell took a minute's repose and then went on. I hope by the hint you gave, Sir Philip, the poor lady is yet alive? No, sir, she is not. But she died not till after she brought forth a son, whom heaven made its instrument to discover and avenge the death of both his parents. They are well avenged, said he. I have no children to lament for me. All mine have been taken from me in the bloom of youth. 
Only one daughter lived to be twelve years old. I intended her for a wife to one of my nephews, but within three months I have buried her. He sighed, wept, and was silent. The gentlemen present lifted up their hands and eyes to heaven in silence. The will of heaven be obeyed, said the priest. My penitent hath confessed all. What more would you require? That he make atonement, said Sir Philip, that he surrender the title and estate to the right heir, and dispose of his own proper fortune to his nearest relations, and resign himself to penitence and preparation for a future state. From this time I leave him with you, father, and will join my prayers with yours for his repentance. So saying, he left the room, and was followed by the barons and the surgeon, the priest alone remaining with him. As soon as they were out of hearing, Sir Philip questioned the surgeon concerning his patient's situation, who answered that at present he saw no sign of immediate danger, but he could not yet pronounce that there was none. If he were mortally wounded, said he, he could not be so well, nor speak so long without faintness, and it is my opinion that he will soon recover, if nothing happens to retard the cure. Then, said Sir Philip, keep this opinion from him, for I would suffer the fear of death to operate on him until he hath performed some necessary acts of justice. Let it only be known to these noblemen, upon whose honour I can rely, and I trust they will approve my request to you, sir. I join in it, said Lord Clifford, from the same motives. I insist upon it, said Lord Graham, and I can answer for my surgeon's discretion. My lords, said the surgeon, you may depend on my fidelity, and, after what I have just heard, my conscience is engaged in this noble gentleman's behalf, and I will do everything in my power to second your intentions. I thank you, sir, said Sir Philip, and you may depend upon my gratitude in return. I presume you will sit up with him to-night. If any danger should arise, I desire to be called immediately. But otherwise, I would suffer him to rest quietly, that he may be prepared for the business of the following day. I shall obey your directions, sir. My necessary attendance will give me a pretense not to leave him, and thus I shall hear all that passes between him and all that visit him. You will oblige me highly, said Sir Philip, and I shall go to rest with confidence in your care. The surgeon returned to the sick man's chamber, Sir Philip and the barons to the company below. They supped in the great hall, with all the gentlemen that were present at the combat. Sir Philip and his Edmund retired to their repose, being heartily fatigued and the company stayed to a late hour, commenting upon the action of the day, praising the courage and generosity of the noble knight, and wishing a good event to his undertaking. Most of Lord Lovell's friends went away as soon as they saw him safely lodged, being ashamed of him, and of their appearance in his behalf, and the few that stayed were induced by their desire of a further information of the base action he had committed, and to justify their own characters and conduct. The next morning Sir Philip entered into consultation with the two barons on the methods he should take to get Edmund received, and acknowledged, as the heir of the house of Lovell. They were all of the opinion that the criminal should be kept in fear till he had settled his worldly affairs, and they had resolved how to dispose of him. With this determination they entered his room, and inquired of the surgeon how he had passed the night. He shook his head, and said but little. Lord Lovell desired that he might be removed to his own house. Lord Graham said he could not consent to that, as there was evident danger in removing him, and appealed to the surgeon, who confirmed his opinion. Lord Graham desired he would make himself easy, and that he should have every kind of assistance there. Sir Philip then proposed to send for the Lord Fitzowen, 
who would see that all possible care was taken of his brother-in-law, and would assist him in settling his affairs. Lord Lovell was against it. He was peevish and uneasy, and desired to be left with only his servants to attend him. Sir Philip quitted the room with a significant look, and the two lords endeavoured to reconcile him to his situation. He interrupted them. It is easy for men in your situation to advise, but it is difficult for one in mind to practice, wounded in body and mind. It is natural that I should strive to avoid the extremes of shame and punishment. I thank you for your kind offices, and beg that I may be left with my own servants. With them and the surgeon you shall, said Lord Graham, and they both retired. Sir Philip met them below. My lords, said he, I am desirous that my lord Fitzowen should be sent for, and that he may hear his brother's confession, for I suspect that he may hereafter deny what only the fear of death has extorted from him, and with your permission I am determined to send messengers to-day. They both expressed approbation, and Lord Clifford proposed to write to him, saying a letter from an impartial person would have the more weight. I will send one of my principal domestics with your own. This measure being resolved upon, Lord Clifford retired to write, and Sir Philip to prepare his servants for instant departure. Edmund desired leave to write to Father Oswald, and John Wyatt was ordered to be the bearer of his letter. When the Lord Clifford had finished his letter, he read it to Sir Philip and his chosen friends as follows. Right Honourable, my good Lord, I have taken upon me to acquaint your Lordship that there has been a solemn combat at arms between your brother-in-law, the Lord Lovell, and Sir Philip Harclay, Knight of Yorkshire. It was fought in the jurisdiction of the Lord Graham, who, with myself, was appointed judge of the field. It was fairly won, and Sir Philip is the conqueror. After he had gained the victory, he declared at large the cause of the quarrel, and that he had revenged the death of Arthur, Lord Lovell, his friend, whom the present Lord Lovell had assassinated, that he might enjoy his title and estate. The wounded man confessed the fact, and Sir Philip gave him his life, and only carried off his sword as a trophy of his victory. Both the victor and the vanquished were conveyed to Lord Graham's castle, where the Lord Lovell now lies in great danger. He is desirous to settle his worldly affairs, and to make his peace with God and man. Sir Philip Harclay says there is a male heir of the house of Lovell, for whom he claims the title and estate, but he is very desirous that your lordship should be present at the disposal of your brother's property that of right belongs to him, of which your children are undoubted heirs. He also wants to consult you in many other points of honour and equity. Let me entreat you, upon the receipt of this letter, to set out immediately for Lord Graham's castle, where you will be received with the utmost respect and hospitality. You will hear things that will surprise you as much as they do me, and you will judge of them with that justice and honour that speaks your character, and you will unite with us in wondering at the ways of providence, and submitting to its decrees, in punishing the guilty, and doing justice to the innocent and oppressed. My best wishes and prayers attend you and your hopeful family. My lord, I remain your humble servant, Clifford. Everyone present expressed the highest approbation of this letter. Sir Philip gave orders to John Wyatt to be very circumspect in his behaviour, to give Edmund's letter privately to Father Oswald, and to make no mention of him or his pretensions to Lovell Castle. Lord Clifford gave his servant the requisite precautions. Lord Graham added a note of invitation, and sent it by a servant of his own. As soon as all things were ready, the messengers set out with all speed for the castle of Lovell. They stayed no longer by the way than to take some refreshment, but rode night and day till they arrived there. 
Lord Fitzowen was in the parlour with his children. Father Oswald was walking in the avenue before the house, when he saw three messengers whose horses seemed jaded, and the riders fatigued, like men come a long journey. He came up just as the first had delivered his message to the porter. John Wyatt knew him. He dismounted and made signs that he had something to say to him. He retired back a few steps, and John, with great dexterity, slipped a letter into his hand. The father gave him his blessing and a welcome. "'Who do you come from?' he said aloud. "'From the lords Graham and Clifford to the lord Fitzowen, and we bring letters of consequence to the baron.' Oswald followed the messengers into the hall. A servant announced their arrival. Lord Fitzowen received them in the parlour. Lord Clifford's servant delivered his master's letter. Lord Graham's, his, and they said they would retire and wait his lordship's answer. The baron ordered them some refreshment. They retired, and he opened his letters. He read them with great agitations. He struck his hand upon his heart. He exclaimed, My fears are all verified. The blow is struck, and it has fallen upon the guilty. Oswald came in a minute after. You are come in good time, said the baron. Read that letter, that my children may know the contents. He read it, with faltering voice and trembling lips. They were all in great surprise. William looked down, and kept a studied silence. Sir Robert exclaimed, "'Is it possible? Can my uncle be guilty of such action?' "'You hear,' said the baron. "'He has confessed it.' "'But to whom?' said Sir Robert. His father replied, "'Lord Clifford's honour is unquestionable, and I cannot doubt what he affirms.' Sir Robert leaned his head upon his hand, as one lost in thought. At length he seemed to awake. "'My lord, I have no doubt that Edmund is at the bottom of this business.' Do you remember that Sir Philip Harclay long ago promised him his friendship? Edmund disappears, and, soon after that, this man challenges my uncle. You know what passed here before his departure. He has suggested this affair to Sir Philip, and instigated him to this action. This is the return he has made for the favors he has received from our family, to which he owes everything. Softly, my son, said the baron, let us be cautious of reflecting upon Edmund. There is a greater hand in this business. My conjecture was too true. It was in that fatal apartment that he was made acquainted with the circumstances of Lord Lovell's death. He was, perhaps, enjoined to reveal them to Sir Philip Harclay, the bosom friend of the deceased. The mystery of that apartment is disclosed. The woe to the guilty is accomplished. There is no reflection upon any one. Heaven effects its purposes in its own time and manner. I and mine are innocent. Let us worship and be silent. What do you propose to do? said Sir Robert. To return with the messengers, answered the baron. I think it highly proper that I should see your uncle and hear what he has to say. My children are his heirs. In justice to them, I ought to be acquainted with everything that concerns the disposal of his fortune. Your lordship is in the right, answered Sir Robert. It concerns us all. I have only to ask your permission to bear you company. With all my heart, said the baron. I have only to ask of you in return that you will command yourself, and not speak your mind hastily. Wait for the proofs before you give judgment, and take advice of your reasons before you decide upon anything. If you reflect upon the past, you will find reason to distrust yourself. Leave all to me, and be assured I will protect your honour and my own. I will obey you in all things, my lord, and will make immediate preparation for our departure. So saying, he left the room. As soon as he was gone, Mr. William broke silence. "'My lord,' said he, "'if you have no great objection, I beg leave also to accompany you both. "'You shall, my son, if you desire it. 
I think I can see your motives, and your brother's also. Your coolness will be a good balance to his warmth. You shall go with us. My son Walter shall be his sister's protector in our absence, and he shall be master here till we return. I hope, my dear father, that will not be long. I shall not be happy till you come home, said the fair Emma. It shall be no longer, my dearest, than till this untoward affair is settled. The baron desired to know when the messengers were expected to return. Oswald took this opportunity to retire. He went to his own apartment, and read the letter, as follows. The heir of Lovell, to his dear and reverend friend, Father Oswald. Let my friends at the castle of Lovell know that I live in hopes one day to see them there. If you could by any means return with the messengers, your testimony would add weight to mine. Perhaps you might obtain permission to attend the baron. I leave it to you to manage this. John Wyatt will inform you of all that has passed here, and that hitherto my success has outrun my expectation, and, almost, my wishes. I am in the high road to my inheritance, and trust that the power who hath conducted me thus far will not leave his work unfinished. Tell my beloved William that I live, and hope to embrace him before long. I recommend myself to your holy prayers and blessing, and remain your son and servant, Edmund. Oswald then went to the messengers. He drew John Wyatt to a distance from the rest, and got the information he wanted. He stayed with him till he was sent for by the baron, to whom he went directly, and prevented his questions by saying, I have been talking with the messengers. I find that they travelled night and day to bring the letters with all speed. They only require one night's rest, and will be ready to set out with you to-morrow. Tis well, said the baron. We will set out as soon as they are ready. My lord, said Oswald, I have a favour to beg of you. It is that I may attend you. I have seen the progress of this wonderful discovery, and I have a great desire to see the conclusion of it. Perhaps my presence may be of service in the course of your business. Perhaps it may, said the baron. I have no objection if you desire to go. They then separated, and went to prepare for their journey. Oswald had a private interview with Joseph, whom he informed of all that he knew, and his resolution to attend the baron in his journey to the north. I go, said he, to bear witness in behalf of injured innocence. If it be needful, I shall call upon you. Therefore hold yourself in readiness, in case you should be sent for. That I will, said Joseph, and spend my last remains of life and strength to help my young lord to his right and title. But do they not begin to suspect who is the heir of Lovell? Not in the least, said Oswald. They think him concerned in the discovery, but have no idea of his being interested in the event. Oh, father, said Joseph, I shall think every day a week till your return, but I will no longer keep you from your repose. Good night, said Oswald, but I have another visit to pay before I go to rest. He left Joseph and went on tiptoe to Mr. William's room and tapped at his door. He came and opened it. What news, father? Not much. I have orders to tell you that Edmund is well, and as much your friend as ever. I guessed, said William, that we should hear something of him. I have still another guess. What is that, my child? That we shall see or hear of him where we are going. It is very likely, said Oswald, and I would have you be prepared for it. I am confident we shall hear nothing to his discredit. I am certain of that, said William, and I shall rejoice to see him. I conclude that he is under the protection of Sir Philip Harclay. He is so, said Oswald. I had my information from Sir Philip's servant, who is one of the messengers, and who is guide to the others, in their way hither. After some further conversation, they separated, 
and each went to his repose. End of Part 9